Okay, well, this week, um, as a church, we are embarking on a week of prayer and fasting. Um, I think Nena touched on it when she was uh, doing communion. Um, so every time that we have uh, a season of prayer and fasting, there's always a particular focus as to the reason for the prayer and fasting. I just want to share uh, a bit of that uh, this morning uh, before I go into the word itself. Um, now, our general overseer, um, Pastor John Dempre, who's the um, senior minister of the church, had a, a vision in relation to this season of praying fast. And the vision was simply this, that he saw a plane attempting to take off. And as the plane was attempting to take off, it wasn't able to actually take flight. So you know anyone who's been in a plane before, the plane accelerates. Uh, and before it, before it to take off, obviously it will get to a certain speed and then actually take off. But this plane kept on attempting to take off and then going back down. And that image was symbolic of of a move of God that God wants to do um, with the church. And for different reasons, where God wants to take us to a different level, there are things that are stopping the Holy Spirit and the Lord from taking us to the level that he wants to take us to. So this prayer and fasting is is a way of allowing the Lord to take us to wherever he wants to take us. And there are two portions of scripture that I want to just briefly share uh, in relation to um, that uh, 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 vision that uh, Pastor John had, and also just in relation to this week of prayer and fasting. The first one is um, to do with uh, a book in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, about the man of God, Nehemiah. I don't know how many of you know about the story of Nehemiah, but just for the sake of time, I'll quickly, briefly explain. So Nehemiah um, was a, a young Hebrew man um, that was living in another city. And the city where his, his forefathers and his family were from uh, in, in Jerusalem had a, a major issue where the entire city was, was burnt, um, set on fire. And the walls that surround that city and the gates were all burnt and destroyed. Now, Nehemiah, the Bible says, spoke to some friends of his in the area. And they told him what had happened. That his city, his father's, forefather's city had been burnt down. And when he heard this, he was distraught. The Bible says that he was so down, he began to pray. And immediately, as he was praying, on his heart was, I need to rebuild this city. This city, I may not, in his mind, if he can, I may not live there, but this is the city of God's people. This is the city that represents the God that I serve. And because the gates and the walls have been broken down, immediately he thought, this has to be rebuilt. So the Bible said he prayed, he sought God, and he prayed that, the God, that God will favor him in helping him to build this city. And one of the things that he needed favor from was from the king. Because you know, in the Old Testament days, anything that you needed to do in terms of uh, a locality, you needed the king's consent or the king's permission. So he prayed, God have mercy on us where we have sinned to allow the city to, to be destroyed and the gates to be destroyed. Have mercy on us and, and, and allow, us, allow me to obtain favor from the king. So he prayed. After praying, he then approached the king. And immediately he prayed, God's heart touched the king. And when he spoke to the king, the king began to... Uh, support him and say, listen, okay, whatever you need in order to, to rebuild the city, let me know. So the king favored him. 
helped him to uh, obtain different materials, etc., in order for him to uh, rebuild the city. So then, scripture goes on that Nehemiah then went into the city and then began to rebuild the walls and the gates. But he faced opposition. And unfortunately, the opposition that he gained, that he faced, was from people that lived within the actual city. So people that would, you expect that would be helping him, unfortunately, they were against him. And, the, and the, the story goes on that eventually he had to speak with them and he had all these battles. But to cut a long story short, eventually he was able to rebuild the walls, rebuild the gates. But the scriptures goes on to say that even though the city was rebuilt, the people now had an issue. Their hearts, unfortunately, began to turn away from God and they began to indulge in sin and in different things that dishonored the Lord. But again, Nehemiah's heart was touched and began to pray. And he began to minister to different ones and to the people to a point where eventually the people that were against him began to work in unity. So they then began to help him to rebuild the city. They began to, the Bible said that they, they offered up their tithes and their offerings and they gave uh, different uh, contributions to help to rebuild the city. And to cut a long story short, Nehemiah helped to reestablish the plan and the will of God for the city where his forefathers were. Now, there's a few lessons from here that I just quickly want to share. The first thing is that Nehemiah had a heart for the things of God rather than a heart for his own things. Now, it's interesting that, as I said, Nehemiah didn't live within the city of Jerusalem. He was outside of the city. And the very people that lived in the city where their own walls and gates were destroyed didn't appear to be bothered by the fact that their own city had been destroyed. But Nehemiah, somebody who was outside, was so touched by the things of God that he himself took himself to the city and began to rebuild uh, the city, the walls and the gates. So number one is that he had a heart. And I believe that God wants us in this season to develop a heart for the things of God. The temptation for us to be so focused on our own four walls, focused on our own agenda, is so strong. I believe God is calling us to be similar to Nehemiah and have a heart for the things of God or for his house. That's number one. The second important thing about Nehemiah was that he was a man of prayer. He didn't just moan and complain that the city had been destroyed. The Bible says he prayed. He sought the Lord's face, asked for favor from the king. And, as that, and, and he prayed, that's exactly what he received. Another important point is that Nehemiah sacrificed. You know, part of um, his favor with the king was that the king actually gave him a position for him to uh, take forward. But Nehemiah in himself was quite successful. He had some, I don't know what business he had, but he had uh, uh, quite a successful business. But he left that in order for him to now uh, take on a position that the king had given to him, which was a lesser position, paying less money, but his focus wasn't on money. His focus was on honoring and blessing and reestablishing the kingdom of God, the Jerusalem that uh, his forefathers was, was from. So he sacrificed. Another point that Nehemiah was in, inspired God's people. Scripture says that he helped and encouraged people to give their, their own money, to give of their finances and their income in order to, to rebuild God's kingdom. So he helped establish unity 
And one of the things that we're believing for in this time of prayer and fasting is that as a church, that God will unite us in building his kingdom. Again, when you're united on something, you're not focused on your own thing, but you're looking at the bigger picture. And this is what God wants to do with us in this season. And finally, Nehemiah proved to be a man to bring about revival. Through encouragement, he encouraged God's people. He prayed, which I mentioned before, but also he was obedient to God's word. Nehemiah was so focused on doing the things God wanted him to do, and he was obedient to doing so. Then there's a second scripture in relation again to this prayer and fasting that we're going into, and it's Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 16 to 17. The famous scripture says, Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Amen. Church, God is doing something new in us in this season. And this scripture is representing the new thing that God wants to do in us. We're in a new season as the body of Christ. We're in a new season as a church. And even personally, in your own personal lives, I believe that many of us are in a new season. Some of you are going off to university. Some of you may be starting a new job. Some of you are doing something that is, that is new. may not necessarily appear to you to be something new, but you are entering into a new season. And in order for you to enter into that new season, just like the scripture says, you need to have new wineskin to receive the new wine. The new wine represents the move of God, the spirit of God. You know, I, I use this, this scripture like um, an analogy to uh, wildlife. Those of you that watch wildlife, you, you know that some of these uh, animals like the wildebeests and the, uh, you know, the zebras, etc., they don't stay in a location permanently because where they are the vegetation the grass the uh, everything the water the things that they were used to survive over a period of time in a season the water dries up or the vegetation the grass it dries up it disappears so they can't stay there anymore otherwise they will die so it means that they have to migrate from where they currently are to a new place where there's vegetation and there's water and they can survive so they need to leave where they are leave the old place and go to a new place in order to receive. And it's a similar thing to us. It's so, at times, comfortable to stay in our position of the old. It seems nice, you know, you get relaxed because you're used to something that's been this way for, for so many years or whatever. But God is saying that it's now a new season. God has taken us into a new phase in our lives. Amen? As a church and the children of God. Isaiah 43, 19 says this, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. Amen. So this week of prayer and fasting is about God doing a new thing in us, but God also uniting us in this season in order for us to do the new thing and to be part of this new move of God that he wants to do in our lives. So with that, I want us to, to pray. And I just want to pray and really speak into us that 
during this week of praying fasting that God will, uh, the Holy Spirit will um, have liberty to really move in us, to change us in our minds concerning this new season, for us to see things the way that God wants us to see things. And I said, for many of us, you're in a new season. You may not recognize that you're in a season, but a new season, but you are. And in a new season, it means that your mindset has to change. You have to put the old to one side because you cannot receive the new wine with the old wineskin. Only the new wine can be received with a new wineskin. So I want to pray that God will help us in this new season and prepare us that our minds will transform and be like his. Our hearts will be knitted to, be in, to conform to his heart and that the Lord will lead us in the direction that he wants us to go. So just raise your hands with me and I just want to pray concerning this. So Father, we just commit ourselves into your hands right now. Father, during this week of prayer and fasting, the new things you desire to do, Lord, do them. Use us. Father, we decree that we will unite as you lead us in this season, Lord God, to enter into this new phase. Cause us to receive your new wine as we ourselves become new wineskins. We pray that you will make a way in the wilderness, as your word says. That, Lord, as you do something new, help us to be in unity with the move of your spirit in this season. So we thank you. We say yes and amen to all you have in store for us. And we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So, in line with this week of prayer and fasting, next Sunday, um, we are going to be having a prophetic service. Uh, and one of the things that we, are, we want to do, that as part of this, uh, the, the prayer topics that we're praying into, we also want to add praying for this prophetic service um, for next Sunday as part of the week of prayer, um, week of prayer and fasting. Um, I want to share a few things about prophecy and the prophetic word. And then as the Holy Spirit leads, I want to just do an exercise just to demonstrate how the Lord moves in this uh, particular arena. So prophecy is one of nine gifts that the Bible uh, specifies that every single one of us that believes in God is able to function and operate in. I read a scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5. It says this, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. This is the Apostle Paul saying this. But he said, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So the purpose, or one of the main purposes of prophecy, or the gift of prophecy, is for the church to be edified. Now what does that mean? Edification, or to be edified, means to benefit or to improve, or to feed. So whenever a prophetic word is given, it is given for either the church body or the individual to improve, to be benefited, or to be fed in a particular area. First Corinthians chapter 14, from verses uh, 37 to 38, reads this. It says, if you claim to be a prophet or you think that you're spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. Now, see, this is the Apostle Paul 
And he's talking about the fact that real prophet prophecy, real authentic prophecy, prophetic word, and I'm saying and I'm emphasizing on the word real because there are false prophets. And another, well, if there's time, I'll go into that later. But real prophetic uh, or the prophetic word is spoken directly from God himself through the person that is given that word. So in other words, when you receive an authentic prophetic word, it's as though God himself has spoken to you. That is what the real uh, authentic prophetic word is. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21 says this. says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. It says, no. These prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from, the, from God, God himself. So again, the authentic prophetic words, they're not from a man's mind or imagination. They're not from his emotions or, the, or the, from his feelings or from her feelings. But they're directly from the Holy Spirit, from God himself. So when you receive a prophetic word, you receive it as if God himself has spoken to you. So what is the significance of prophecy? And how is it relevant now? I'll give this scripture, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 3. It says this. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by a word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Do not let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking specifically about prophetic words that are given about when Jesus returns. Now, I'm sure many of you, now that we're in the age of social media, etc., you probably see many uh, clips on TikTok or, you know, Facebook or whatever, where so-and-so will say, yeah, God has said that uh, they've got a word that Jesus is coming next week. Or Jesus is coming, I mean, between, come on, now and I don't know how many, 10 years ago, there's been multiple words to say Jesus is coming on this date. He's coming on New Year's Eve. He's coming on Boxing Day. He's coming on. So all of this talk uh, that different ones are saying, the Bible makes it very clear that no one knows when Jesus is coming except the Father. Not even Jesus himself, which is strange, but that's what the Bible says. So at times you will hear and receive uh, such words that are not in line with the word of God. And the important thing when it comes to the prophetic word is that any word that you receive prophetically is only, can only be consistent with God's word. In order for you to recognize that it is a word from God, it will not dilute God's word. It will not change the written word of God, but it's complementary to the word of God. And it's important to recognize that whenever you receive a prophetic word from anyone. So the scripture is final when it comes to when you think. If you receive a word about a particular thing, it's final. A prophetic word will not come and try to change God's written word. It doesn't work like that at all. 
So again, looking at prophecy. One of the purposes of the prophecy also, especially in the Old Testament, is that not only is it a way to communicate to God's people from, uh, about what God is saying to us, but it's also a way of uh, allowing us to recognize God's holiness and also allowing us to understand the obligations, the thing that God wants us to know. So when you receive a prophetic word, one of the things that, it wants, that, that the Lord, the Holy Spirit wants it to do is to help us to denounce any form of injustice. It wants, the Holy Spirit wants us to allow ourselves to expose any idolatry that may be happening in our lives. And to call us as God's people to a place of repentance and faithfulness. So in the Old Testament, you'll find that when different words were spoken by prophets, it was to cause people to recognize maybe where they've gone wrong and to bring them to a place of repentance and to be faithful and holy before God. But prophecy, in addition to that, helps to realign us, to bring us in back on track when it comes to our walk with God. Because at times in life, in our Christian walk, we can live in a way that can take us off track. But the word of God or the prophetic word helps to bring you back on track, to align you as to where God wants you to be. Another element of the prophetic word, which is to some extent controversial, is that at times God wants to give, to communicate something to you that may come in the form of a warning. So if there are things that are taking place in us as a church, let's say, as a church body, and we are, let's say, we're indulging in things as a church that we shouldn't be doing, God will bring a prophetic word as a warning to say, if you continue to do this, this will happen. Or if we do not start doing something, that this will happen. And this is very scriptural. I read a book in a um, scripture, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. It says this, Son of man, I have appointed you. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. I have appointed you as a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die. And you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way, that he may live. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. And his blood I will acquire at your hand. Yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Now that's an interesting scripture because sometimes God will give you a prophetic word to share. And as I said, it may be a word that is not a nice word, an encouraging word per se, but it's still a word that God wants you to share. And it could be a word that is warning somebody about a particular thing. Taking a step back, and we're going to do an exercise very soon. When you receive a prophetic word, it's important that when you receive it, and it's maybe it's about a particular person, that you pray and you speak to the Lord first about how you should respond to that word. Because it's not automatic that when you receive a word about somebody, 
that you go to the person and say, oh, by the way, God spoke to me, I had this vision, I had this, etc. And you start telling the person. Because God in his wisdom has a, diff- has a different plan or many plans with that particular word that we need to seek him for, for first before we act upon it. So when you receive a word, it's not automatic that you go to the person and share. First and foremost, you pray. You pray into that word. And you ask him, Lord, do I need to re- communicate this word to the person or not? If you feel released to, re- to speak to the person, then you speak to them. If you don't feel any release or so, then you just pray concerning that word and you pray for the person. It may not just be for a person. It could be for a church. It could be for a nation. It could be for um, a cause taking place. But the key is that you bring it before the Lord in prayer before you action that word. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example of, of um, this type of scenario in terms of a word of warning. I was, I was traveling um, last year or a year and a bit ago um, when I went to bury my mom in Nigeria. And two people received prophetic words for me which at the time, they didn't say anything to me. It's only when I got back from traveling that they spoke to me about the word. And they told me that the word um, at the time was a word they didn't feel that they should tell me. But after I got back, they told me. And the word simply was that, that there were things that were waiting for me uh, when I traveled. And there were things that I needed to pray into. But the person felt that they just should pray for me as opposed to me hearing and receiving that word. Now, when I heard this, I thought, well... You know, if I was told it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind being told I could have prayed. But the Lord in his wisdom decided I should know. And he left it with this person to pray. And thank God they prayed. And whatever was planned for me when I traveled, whatever attempts were being made to do whatever that the enemy wanted to do, didn't work. And by his grace, I went, I buried my mom, and I came back. Now, there were things that happened when I was there. I won't go into them. Some people know there were some things that took place, spiritually that took place. And I thank God because I was unwell at one stage when I was there for a few days. But I believe that the word that was received by this individual and the prayer that God prayed, uh, that this person prayed for receiving this word, helped to keep me whilst I was there. So it's important that whenever you receive a word, immediately bring it before the Lord's throne. Pray. Hear what the Lord is saying. Find out if I need to share that word with the person. But ultimately, pray. That is the main thing that you do with the word that you receive. Amen? So I'm conscious of time now, so I want to wrap up and then I want to allow the Lord to to minister. So three things very quickly that the Bible says about the gift of prophecy. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says this, But in these days, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. Point number one is this, and I mentioned this before, test every prophetic word. Any word that you receive is to be tested. And I'll explain. First Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22. Or verse 19. I'll just read verse 19. It said, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. 
Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Amen. So we have to test every prophetic word that you receive. Now we test it ultimately through prayer and then meditation. So you receive a word. The word is personal to you. You test it by taking time out. You pray. Speak to the Lord. Lord, what is this word saying to me? You meditate on it. You keep going over what the word is saying. And as you do so, you then allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about that word. If as you hear that word, it resonates within you, it makes sense, like it just hits you straight, that yes, this word applies. Then you receive that word and you ask the Lord to give you wisdom in order for, to take that word forward. But on the other side, if you pray, you meditate, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't sit. It just doesn't resonate for whatever reason. Then you have a choice not to receive that word. But you personally have to take the time out to hear what God is saying to you in prayer. So that is how you test uh, this, the, the prophecy that you received. Point two, prophecy relies on relationship with God. Now this goes about saying, God is a relational God. And if you want the Lord to really minister to you when it comes to the area of, of the prophetic, we have to stay close to him because God is relational. I think I touched on it before about the centrality of, of Christ. Christ is the center of all that we do. So any prophetic word that you received, that we receive, ensure that uh, our relationship with God is as close as it can be, that we're connected to him in all things. You know, sometimes you can be used in the gift of prophecy and God can flow through you, but because you're not connected to him, the gift itself is flowing, but you've gone off. And it's a dangerous place to be because God will still honor the gift that he's given to you. But if your relationship with him is off track, then you're ministering, but your relationship has gone off. And the scripture that is, uh, you know, one that is very scary um, is where the Lord says, you know, have I not prophesied in your name? Um, have I not done this, these things? Have I not cast out demons? And the Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me. So our hearts and our relationship with him has to always remain connected so that the Lord can use us. So you can prophesy, and we thank God for that gift. But it's important that we remain connected to him at all times. And thirdly, prophecy calls people to turn to him. The prophetic word, I believe, is one of the main ways that God wants to remind us to focus on God, to turn to him in every situation that we face. Second Peter 2 um, chapter 1, verse 21 says, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through humans speak from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 